Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning, church. Nice to see you all here today. Pastor Jim, as many of you know, is taking a well-deserved break. We want to continue to pray for him and Olivia as as God just renews their strength, renews their mind, uh, gives them vision for ministry and and all that God needs to do to just restore and and renew his mind. Be praying for him, if you will. Uh, As the slide says, or as the little video says, we're in a series called This is Church. I I wore my church that represented what church is, to love, care, and serve. I got to read it, but love, care, and serve, there it is. Um, That's what church is all about. Today's title of today's message is going to be Effective Christianity, and we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan through the eyes of God, the priest, and the Levite. Next week, we're going to take the second half of the story where we look at the Good Samaritan and what he does. That'll be next week, Uh, but this week, we're going to be looking at the priest and the Levite and how they failed to serve God and the reasons for it and how we can prepare to allow God to use us more effectively in our ministry. So as I said, the title of our series is This is Church. And a lot of us might have this idea that church is this, these four walls. But in reality, the word church, it means to call out or to call us to an assembly with a purpose. And so our purpose this morning, we've been called out to assemble together so that we can worship together and to serve. We have people serving all throughout the church. This is what church is. And church doesn't have to be held back by these four walls. We can have church outside of this building as we are called by God to assemble together and serve Him. And so that's what church is all about. Once upon a time, there were four individuals. Their names were uh, everybody, somebody, nobody, and anybody. Anytime there was a difficult job to be done, everybody thought somebody would do it. Anybody could have done the job, but nobody did it. When nobody did the job, everybody got mad because it was everybody's job in the first place. While everybody thought somebody should have done it, nobody realized that nobody would do it. Consequently, everyone was mad at somebody because nobody did the job that everybody should have done in the first place. Thank you. <laughs> almost met, where's Lynch? I almost messed it up right from the get-go. Did you see that? Gosh, what an amateur. That was a hard one to memorize. God didn't call us just to fill a pew. That's not our calling from God. Matter of fact, Scripture says um, that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, we are, we, when we accepted Jesus Christ, his creation in us is that we are to serve him in every capacity that he calls us to do. We are his workmanship, his craftsmanship running through us in order to, to perform good works. That's our calling. And whether you know it or not, every one of us in this building, I don't care your age, I don't care how young you are today, I don't care how old you are, I don't care what your life circumstance is. I don't care what your background is, what sins you may have committed last week or even this morning. I don't care about any of that. God has called you with a purpose and he desires to use you. 
and it has nothing to do, God using you, and you gotta hear this theme through the entire message. Don't misunderstand anything I've said. God's desire to use you and his ability to use you has nothing to do with your and my abilities. It has everything to do with our willingness and our availability to God. If God can use a donkey in the Old Testament to stop Balaam from going out and cursing his people, he could use any one of us in an effective way if we would just allow him to do it. And that's our calling. Well, today, we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to see a man that was wounded and left by the wayside. We're going to read about him, left for dead. And God sends three individuals. He starts with the priest, and then a Levite, and then eventually who we call the Good Samaritan to go and minister to this man. And two of those individuals fail miserably, and we'll see that in this story. A Sunday school teacher was sharing this Good Samaritan story with her class of four and five-year-olds, and she was wanting to keep them intrigued in the story, so she was trying to be as vivid as possible with this story and really telling it. And so she asks the class, she says, kids, what would you do if you saw an individual on the side of the road that was bleeding and wounded and bruised and left for dead? And there was a hushed silence in the room, and finally it was broken by a little girl that just says, I think I'd barf. And so that we don't get to that place, let's just open up with prayer. This is probably a good time to pray. Why don't we do that? Lord, we come before you this morning. We're going to look at this story of the Good Samaritan and how you've called us to serve you. And Lord, we see, we're going to see this morning that we can refuse that calling, but it's not going to stop you. You will find a way. Or we could choose to be used by you in spite of the condition of our current life. So Lord, this morning, I pray you'd open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see the truths that you have for us. Lord, I pray that the burdens of this week the difficulties that we may have faced. Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would just bring peace in this room. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and ready our hearts to receive exactly what you'd have for us. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we started this three-part teaching where Pastor Charlie Headley came up and, and he shared this interaction that Jesus was having, having with a lawyer. And this lawyer came up to Jesus and said, you know, good teacher, what do I have to do to gain an eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you're a lawyer. Jesus met the man where he was. He says, you're a lawyer. What does the law say about it? And that's a good way anytime we're witnessing to Christ is engaging people where they're at. If they're into baseball, find a way to talk about Christ by bringing up baseball. Well, this man was a lawyer. So Jesus says, well, you tell me, what does the law say? And the lawyer did first exactly what we thought he would do. And that is, he goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, called the Shema, which is the Jewish confession of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But then, the lawyer adds something that's not found in the Shema. It's found in another part of Leviticus, is kind of a side note. And that is this, you shall love, the, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, he heard Jesus talk about this on previous times. When Jesus had taken the, the, the encompassing law of Scripture, the 600 and some uh, laws that you can find in the Old Testament, Jesus narrowed it down to two. He made it real simple. He says, love God and love others. Love your neighbor. 
And so the lawyer had heard him say this because Jesus had said it before. And it's interesting that he injected that into that moment. And it says the reason he did that is because he wanted to justify himself. And he wanted to dialogue with Christ on this a little bit more. He wanted to know, well, God, who's my neighbor? Who do I really need to love? I get this loving God thing, but tell me plainly, who do I need to love? And Jesus answers him by telling this story. And so we're going to go into our text this morning, Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read the whole story of the Good Samaritan, starting in verse 30. And I'm reading out of the New King James, if that matters to you. It says, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on uh, oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you feel or do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer answered, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You know, as we read that story, there's some really key things that we can pull right out the top. First of all, the Lord sends, and we're going to talk a little bit about the original language and what this means exactly. But the Lord sent the priest and the Levite to this man to minister to him. And they refused. And God says, whatever, I'll send someone else. And so God sends a Samaritan, which in the Jewish mind was a sinner. God sent somebody that you wouldn't expect. And God was able to use that sinner way more effectively than he was the religious leaders of the day. Just because you're a quote-unquote religious leader does not mean that you're a true servant of God. And we see that because the priest and the Levite weren't true servants of God. Look at verse 10 or excuse me, uh, verse 31 of chapter 10. It says, Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And verse 32 says, Likewise, this happened to the Levite. So you can assume that it, it's the same thing. By chance, he comes, they come across this man. Now, some of your Bibles, that word chance, it might be translated as coincidence. And you could say, well, I kind of get it. You know, the guy is wounded, he's dead, he's dying on the road. And coincidentally, here comes a priest. Oh God, thank God, coincidentally, a priest comes by. He needs a priest. The word chance, while it can be translated as coincidence, it comes from two root words. The first root word means to be in unity with. So keep that in mind, to be in unity with. The second root word, it means master, supremacy, Lord. Put those two thoughts together. To be in unity with your master, a supremacy with your Lord. To be in unity with your Lord. Now you read that verse and it says, by chance a priest happened to come down the road. There is no coincidence with God to a Christian believer. It wasn't by luck that the priest came down the road. God sent him down the road. That was orchestrated by God. And so 
we also can believe that God orchestrates our steps. Look at Psalms chapter 37, verse 23. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. We all need to believe. One of the truths that you need to believe, regardless of where you're sitting, because I realize some of, some of us are sitting in this room thinking, looking around. You know, it's obvious God wants to use some of these people, but God could never use me. You might believe that, but you need to accept and understand the fact that God says he has a plan for each one of us. God can use each one of us, and he desires to use each one of us. And we need to believe that. And that verse, Psalms 37, 23 says that the steps of a good man are ordered by God. Literally, God orchestrates our steps. And if you believe that God wants to use you and that he orchestrates your steps, then you must believe every time you walk out of the house, you may have a chance encounter with God someplace in your day that day. An opportunity for God to use you. It says that God delights in our path. The word delight, I got to demonstrate it physically because this is what it means. Oh man, that is so interesting. It means to stoop down in interest. It says God is intimately involved. He stoops down to our level and he wants to know, gosh, look at what's going on in David's life. Or maybe you're struggling and God is intimately involved. He delights in your path. What's going on? You might have had a difficult week, maybe a death in the family or a loved one or whatever. God is interested. He's delighting to know your path. He's, he's involved in your life. And if we believe that he really is intimately involved in our life, then we can begin to trust him to set up opportunities. You go to lunch today after church. It's no coincidence that you're running into certain individuals that have a need that God wants to touch and talk to. We just need to have spiritual eyes to see those opportunities when they come. And that's oftentimes our problem, right, is that we just miss the opportunity. We don't see it. We are called to, we're all called to serve. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in a steward that one be found faithful. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian believers. Now, the, the church of Corinth, Corinth is situated in such a way they were a port city. Their primary source of income was through merchant ships going through their area. So they understood what he was saying here because Paul says, let a man consider us servants of Christ. The word servant, the literal translation of the word servant is broken up into two words, under rower. That's what it means, under rower. And the Corinthian people knew exactly what an under rower was. So Paul says, let a man consider yourself to be an under rower for Christ. An under rower was somebody that was enslaved. It was the lowest form of slavery. You would be brought down to the bottom level of the ship where your sole purpose in life would be to transport that ship by rowing. And under rowers were oftentimes uh, prisoners of war. Um, it could have been somebody that was sentenced to a life sentence and they were serving out their sentence as an under rower. Many times you were brought to the belly of a ship. You were chained to the seat and you did not leave the belly of that ship uh, vertically. You were carried out dead. You would sleep there, defecate there, eat there. It was a nasty place to be. 
And Paul chooses to use this term when he talks about who we are to be in Christ. Paul says, I consider myself an under rower for Christ. I row to the beat of my master. I get no glory from anything that happens. Only the captain gets glory of what happens through my life. And then he says, he goes to the extreme opposite, and he says, and let a man consider as stewards of the mysteries of God. Now a steward was the highest form of employment that anybody could have. A steward, it means uh, to manage the affairs of an individual. That's what a steward was, somebody that managed the affairs of an individual. It can also be translated literally as governor, to be a governor or a household manager. And so Paul says, while I consider myself to be a servant of Christ, I also consider myself to be a steward, a manager of Christ's affairs and what he calls me to do. And then he says, moreover, in other words, if anything is important here, understand this, a steward, somebody that's managing Christ's affairs needs to be found faithful. What is Christ's affair today? I'll tell you what Christ's affair... God wants to use me. He wants to use you as the hands to lift a stumbled person up. He wants to take the resources that he's blessed me with and a family that might be hurting financially or in hunger or in need of any kind, and he wants to pour himself through me in a way that Christ can minister through me in a way to touch that individual. That's what he wants to do for all of us. But I ask myself, why is it that I don't let God use me more often than I do? I mean, there's moments, moments of greatness in my life, and then there's a lot of moments of failure where it's like I just, God's, I'm not allowing God that place in my life to use me, and, and, and we're all there, right? And so I ask, I ask this question, do I trust God? Ask yourself that question. Do you trust God with the affairs of your life? Do you trust God to lead you wherever he would want, want you to go? And I think we would all love to answer yes to that question, but the reality and the truth of our life when we look at it is, God, obviously the evidence of my life is I don't always trust you because of fear, because I'm afraid of what is God going to do? I remember when I first accepted Christ, I was so afraid to totally commit to him because I just thought for sure he was going to send me to Africa someplace all by myself and I'd never get married, I'd never have children and life was going to be miserable and I was going to be disconnected. From, I just, I thought God was going to do something difficult in my life. God isn't going to call you out and force you anywhere that you don't want to go. Matter of fact, the scripture says, delight yourself in the eyes of the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, could you be called to ministry or missionary someplace? You could, but guess what happens? God gives you the desire first in your heart. You will have a passion. You'll want to go. It's not he's going he's to drag you out kicking and screaming. He's going to give you the passion, and you're going to want to serve him in that capacity. And so we can struggle trusting God. And if you're struggling trusting God this morning, I want you to know that he understands but there's two verses that I'd just like to share with you and let you kind of meditate on it during the week and think about this, because I think it's a real encouragement. And it really will inspire you, hopefully, to trust God more. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. The Lord, speaking through Jeremiah, says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So God says, 
I'm not up in heaven thinking evil thoughts towards you. I'm not thinking how I can mess your life up and make your life miserable. He says, I'm thinking about how I could bless you, how I could give you great things in life, how I could bring peace to your life. That, this is what God is thinking about. Now look at Psalms chapter 139, verses 17 and 18. The psalmist says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would be more than the number of sand. God is always thinking of us. If you could gather all the grains of sand in the world, you still wouldn't have enough sand to equal the amount of times that God passionately thinks about you and I. And if every one of those thoughts is how to give us peace and, and comfort and how to strengthen us and how to bless our lives, we need to trust God more and allow those blessings to, to flow in. But it can be difficult. It can be difficult to trust him. But we need to learn to be not only a servant of Christ, but also a faithful administrator of his will and his desire uh, in our lives. So that was the Christian's call to effective ministry. Let's look at the Christians. Um, the second point is Christians can be ineffective in ministry. As I th thought about this point, I thought of uh, five common reasons that we can be ineffective in ministry. The first two points I took straight from our story, and the other three were just um, thoughts that the Lord had landed upon my heart that I'm going to share with you. This isn't necessarily an exhaustive list by any means, but it's something that we could hold on to and really grab and learn from. So the first reason that we can be ineffective in serving Christ is that we can be religious. We're religious. Now, the priest and the Levite put religion over relationship. In those days, if we understand the culture a little bit, there were so many priests in that day that in order for them to serve in the temple in Jerusalem, they would be broken up into teams and they would have two weeks of the year that they would travel to Jerusalem and that would be the two weeks that they'd be allowed to serve in the temple during those two weeks. And it's very possible... Well, first let me tell you, the priest's job was to sacrifice animals on behalf of the people's sins. The Levite's job was to care for the utensils uh, in, the, in the temple and the temple grounds. You could relate this duo to a modern-day pastor and deacon in a church. And you would have thought that these two would have been really ready for God to use them. But it's quite possible that as they walked up and they saw this man bloody on the ground, possibly dying that they didn't want to get blood on them or possibly touch a dead body because that would make them unclean and they wouldn't be able to serve in the temple. They put religious service over relationship. And God never intended that. It means nothing if we don't love one another. If we can't love one another, there is no point in gathering together. Like, this is what it's about, is to love and care for one another. The second reason we can be ineffective is we can be legalistic. You see, these two possibly put law over love, the rule of law over the rule of love. It's possible that when they walked up to this man that they looked at this man on the ground and they thought, you know what, he's under God's judgment. He did something wrong and God allowed this. And if I stoop down and help this man uh, stand up and recover and all, you know, people watching might think that I'm associating with this man's sin. And so they may have walked past him because they didn't want to be associated with his sin. And you think, David, that seems a little far-fetched. Well, don't we do that? Can, can it not be that maybe somebody is living a lifestyle that's completely 
against God's desire for us, and we know it. Scripturally, that lifestyle that they're living, they are living in sin. And they invite you over for dinner or a hangout, a game night or something, and you talk to your spouse and you go, I just don't think we can go because we're going to give the impression that we accept their lifestyle. And so we refuse to love them and serve them in a way because we're afraid we'll be associated with their sin. And if we go, maybe we have it distorted in our mind, well, we'll all go, but I first got to really express to them that I don't agree with their lifestyle. You do that, you're going to ruin your opportunity to share God's love with them. God calls us to be fishers of men. He'll clean the fish. He'll clean the sin out of somebody's life. Legalism is something that we can so easily slip into. I've been there. I know exactly what it is to be legalistic. Let me offer a few questions that you can just answer yourself in your own mind, and this will give you a hint if you tend to default to the legalism side of Christianity. Do you believe God loves you more when you're doing good? Is that a natural response? Oh, I'm, I did really good this week. I read my Bible. I prayed. God must be really happy with me. Do you think God loves you more when you're doing good? It's impossible. God can't love you more when you're doing good. Matter of fact, God's love showed up the greatest when you were in your worst condition, in your worst sin, and God stooped down and said, I died for you. Amen. That's when the love really showed up because as low as you were, God's love dem was demonstrated and God's love just showed up. That's when he loved you the most, not when you're doing great, not when we, we self-righteously think we're doing great. So that, have you ever thought, God can use me more effectively if I'm doing good? That's a legalistic thought. God can use you in spite of, I mean, there's been times in my life that I was not walking with God and God used me in some miraculous ways. It had nothing to do with me. And all you could do is stand back and go, well, that was obviously God because that wasn't my heart, right? And so God did it. Um, do you ever feel like you have to point out other people's sins before you could really get close to them? Like, I, I don't mind being your friend, but I'm going to have to tell you that I don't agree with this part of your lifestyle. That's legalism. Just love them. God, Jesus, when he was on earth, demonstrated love. When he went to... Uh, someone's house and had dinner with them in that time when you sat around on the floor and it was community type food and you were dipping like your chips and guacamole in the same di dish that everyone else is dipping in that was you were saying i accept you for who you are when jesus dipped his bread and handed it to an individual around the table he's saying i accept you just the way you are that's what he was saying this is why the religious leaders of the day had a problem with him eating with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners because he was one of them. And Jesus had no problem having dinner with them and just loving them. It's the love of God that leads us to repentance, not our self-condemning of individuals and sin-sniffing and pointing out their sin. And that, does not that doesn't deliver anybody from sin. Allow the Holy Spirit to do it. The third reason why I think we can be ineffective in ministry is that we're self-condemning. And what do I mean by that? I mean, some of you might be here and you're thinking, I just don't think I can serve because I don't have what it takes to serve. I don't think I'm, I'm ready yet. The scripture says that God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. Do you really want to see God do some, something miraculous in your life? Ask God to open the door for you 
Be willing to walk through it, even if it's out of your comfort zone because you really feel weak in a given area. Just step out in it and you watch and see what God wants to do because he will pour himself mighty through you. There's a passage of scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 19. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. God's just looking. Who's loyal? Who's willing to say, God, use me? It says, I'm looking for that individual. And I'm going to show myself strong on their behalf. And that, that phrase, strong on the behalf of, it means to cling to, to fasten to, to give strength and courage. And so the idea is, is you don't have to have this great ability. You just have to have availability. Lord, use me. I want to be used by you. The Lord says, I'm going to go down, I'm going to cling to that individual, and I'm going to pour my power through him. I'm going to show myself strong in that situation on their behalf. And so don't worry about your, your inability. Just be available for the Lord to use you. Another reason that we can be ineffective in our ministry is that we fail to love others. The true secret of really being effective in ministry is doing what Jesus said. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you think about it, this is exactly what Jesus was saying in the interaction he was having with the lawyer ahead of this. You see, you may come to church and maybe you're not a believer yet. You haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you might be thinking, man, I just don't know about this church thing. All these do's and don'ts. You know, you got to sit up at a certain time or stand up, sit down. You got to do this. You got to read that. I'm not allowed to do this anymore. I'm not allowed to do that. And God's such a killjoy. And, you know, and maybe your mentality is just all these do's and don'ts. And there's in the Old Testament, there's 600 and some laws that you got to follow, you know, that are found in the Old Testament. You got the Ten Commandments and, and all this. And maybe you just think it's a bunch of do's and don'ts. And Jesus says, that's why he narrowed it down. He goes, no. Forget about all the laws that are found in Scripture and just focus on this. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Boy, I could deal with that. I mean, I could focus on that. And if you focus on that, everything else will take care of itself. Everything else will be fine. Learn to love God and learn to love others. The fifth reason we can be uh, ineffective is that we're not prepared. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying about this. Now, I'm in the trades, and, and in order for me to carry my journeyman certificate, I was a couple years a tradesman, uh, five years an apprentice where I went to school two nights a week uh, for five years. Uh, had to have a minimum of 1,800-hour work experience hours every year in order to advance to the next year. And so uh, this is what gave me the right to stand up and say I'm a journeyman in my trade. There's nothing you could do in, in Christianity that allows you to say, God, well, you could use me now because I've arrived. God says, you've never arrived. What are you talking about? You haven't so I don't mean when I'm talking about being prepared. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being prepared to see the opportunities when they come. The last point, third point of our teaching is Christians can prepare for effective ministry. And to carry that idea on into this point, uh, 4th of July, we live over in Eastville in the, the soccer park. Uh, uh, 
I forgot the name of the park. But anyways, over there off the freeway, we could see that from our house. And they had a great fireworks show. And so Elvie and I, we went and we sat out on the front fence of our house. And I'm staring. We thought it started at 9 o'clock. And so I'm staring into the sky like this. I'm waiting for that first little trail and the boom that follows. And then I want to see the first explosion. Like, I'm waiting for it, right? 9 o'clock, 9.15. We got our time off. I think 9.45 is when it started. But at 9.45, I'm sitting out again. And we're watching and I'm waiting. I want to see it. My eyes are drying up because I'm afraid to blink. I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't want to be unprepared. I want to be prepared to see it when it happens. And this is what can happen to us as believers, is we can be unprepared to see the opportunities that God is bringing our way. And so there's something that we could do to help prepare ourselves for that. And that's found in our relationship with God. My wife and I, we can be in any given circumstance just about... And we don't even have to say a word, I know how my wife feels about a subject or whatever's happening. Um, I certainly know when I've done something wrong, she doesn't have to say anything, I know. Um, I know when I've done good, I know when she's happy, I know when she's sad, I know when something's gonna irritate her. She doesn't have to tell me, I just know, why? Because we have this relationship, we've been around each other long enough, I know how she's gonna react in certain circumstances. Just like that with God, as we spend time with God, we understand his heart. We know how he's going to react in a, in a situation or how he feels about a circumstance. The scripture says, God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. He wants relationship. He wants us to know his heart. Matter of fact, God's heart, he gave us his heart for us on these written pages. This is a written document of his heart for you and me. What he wants us to know about him. He's done everything he can to possibly get us to know him more. He wants us to step into that relationship. And so there's two things that we can do. Um, One is read and ponder. And the other is pray and listen. Now, I say it that way because if I said read and pray, we'd all sit back and go, oh, I figured he's going there. Yeah, read your Bible and pray right? But reading your Bible without meditating on God's word means nothing. Praying in the traditional sense of what you may think, talking to God but not listening to God means very little as well. It all goes together. And so to build this relationship so we can hear God's voice more, um, Psalms chapter 119 verse 11 says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist says, Lord, I read your word. I don't just read it, but I memorize it. I hide it in my heart. I I meditate on it. The word meditate means to roll over in the mind, to think about it from all angles. Don't just read it and move on, but stop. How does this apply to my life? Lord, as as, as your word reflects against my soul, what is it telling me? Is it is it telling me I need to change? Lord, how can, I, how can I change? We allow God's word to begin to change us and we begin to take it in. We get to understand his heart. And the psalmist says, as I get to know my Lord more because I take his word in, I meditate on it, I hide it in my heart, it keeps me from sinning against him. Why? Because he knows God's heart. I don't, I don't ever go out of my way to irritate my wife. That would be foolish. 
But I don't, I, I have never purposely ever done anything to irritate my wife. And I imagine some of you probably have some stories where you did, you know, whatever. I can't think of a time I ever purposely, honey, I've never tried to irritate you, ever. Um, and knowing God's heart, why would I ever want to irritate him? So hiding God's word in my heart keeps me from wanting to irritate the Lord. But also, it changes who I am. The Bible says God's word gets in, and it 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 divides between my soul and spirit, my, the intents of my heart. It can judge me. It can change me. It could reveal the areas where God says, clean this up. And then God is patient. His love over time changes me. And maybe you're struggling with sin in your life. Maybe there's an area of your life you just need to overcome. I want to encourage you. Read God's word. Allow it to change you. Will sin in your life stop God from using you? Absolutely not. But what sin can do, God, where you at? I can't hear you anymore. What happened? Or God, I, don't, I can't see you so clear. I think you're kind of there, Lord. I, it's, a, it's obscure. It blinds us to God's intention for our life. Sin does. It deafens our ears so we can't hear. We're not as attentive to God. So we want to draw near to him. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing. It's a command to pray without ceasing. Now that doesn't mean that you pray 24-7, 365 days a year. Obviously it can't mean that, right? Because you can never sleep if it meant that. That's not what it means. It means don't ever lose the opportunity to pray. When the time comes, pray. Don't forget to pray. Always be willing to pray. Prayer is us communicating with God. It's not a one-way type of thing. If I came home and my wife just started to talk to me and I never responded, that's not very good communication. Sorry, honey, I do do that. <laughs> my wife talks to me all the time. And I'm just thinking, you know, it's not that I'm not, I'm thinking about what she said. She goes, you gonna answer? And I go, yeah, I'm sorry, I'll answer. And so it appears that I'm not communicating. Okay, I'm not communicating, I'm trying. Okay, I'm trying to communicate. Communication goes both ways. We talk to God and he speaks back to us. And talking to God should be this attitude of praying all the time. It's like having a best friend in your room all the time with you. And something is heavy on your heart and you just express it to your friend. Man, you know, I, I'm really struggling here, whatever. And your friend encourages you back and, and there's just always this ready dialogue that happens. This is what it is to pray, to always be praying, always be in this attitude of prayer, realizing that God is always with you. And as you're going through struggles, as you're pleased and happy, whatever it is, you give praise to God, but he's always there. You're always in communication. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears from the father, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. God desires to speak to us. We just have to sit long enough, quiet enough to allow God that time to really be able to minister to our hearts, to land his thoughts on our mind. I've never heard God's voice audibly. I've, I know of people that have, and I don't doubt one second that they did hear God's voice audibly, but I never have. But God speaks in heavy impressions on my heart in my mind as he communicates and he wants to do that but he's he's not rushed he's not hurried he does it quietly over time and so we need to sit and meditate on God's word and ask God Lord how does this change my life what can this 
What, should I, what do I need to change? And allow God to begin to plant those thoughts into your mind that come straight from Him. And as we do that, our relationship draws closer to Him. I thought of a dozen different ways that I can conclude this message, and it was, and I, I really have, I think, two great avenues of how I can conclude it. Um, I wasn't looking for another way to conclude it, but this morning when we were in the AB room, we were just talking, and it, it impressed on me so heavy, I thought, you know, I, I think I need to express this. God has called us to serve one another, to love one another, to go out our doors every morning and ask God, Lord, what chance encounter joined with Christ? What chance encounter are you going to lead my way that you want me to, to minister to somebody else? Um, God wants us to be looking for those. And this last year, this pandemic year, Satan has gotten such a strong foothold in the churches across America and the world. He has separated us. He's made us recluse. We've gone to our homes. We haven't been ministering to one another as much as we should. I'm not saying we haven't at all. Of course we have. There's been some real needs out there that we've had the opportunity, all of us have had the opportunity to minister to one another's needs. But it's all this six-foot distance, and we're not socializing. We're not doing these things that you know, allow for those opportunities to, to know when somebody's truly hurting and to be able to meet those needs. And we need to redeem that back. We need to take it back. And I just want to challenge you this week as you go out, just say, Lord, I, when the opportunity comes, open my eyes. Remind me of Sunday's message. Oh yeah, this, maybe this is an opportunity for God to use me. And just step through that door. It doesn't matter if you have what it takes or not. See what God does. Ask somebody, how you doing today? How, how are things going? Is there anything I could do for you? Just simple questions that will allow somebody to open up and kind of share their heart and then see what God wants to do. The scripture says that Jesus did some amazing miracles on earth. But Jesus said, the things you saw me do are nothing in compared to what I'll do through you through the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to do some amazing stuff through us if we would just open ourselves up and make ourselves available. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word once again. God, we pray that your word would take root in us. Lord, you desire to reach out and touch this world, and we're the instruments in your hands. God, I pray that we don't rebel against you, but we're willing for you to use us. Lord, I pray we're that tool in the toolbox that just rattles around trying to get its master's attention. Use me, use me, use me. Lord, I pray this week you use each one of us that you would open up those doors of opportunities. God, I pray you would do miraculous things, things outside of our comfort zone that would just blow us away where we know God just stepped into this moment and did a miraculous thing. Lord, we know you're able. This world needs you, Lord. We need to redeem the time that's been lost through this past year. God, we thank you, Lord. Pray for your blessings upon everyone as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.